Hello, Marvelites! You're listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 609. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Angelique Rocher. This is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about all things happening this week in Marvel. Comics, books, movies, games, toys, everything else. Teeth, noses, hair follicles. Scrolls. Of course. How you doing, Angelique? I'm good. Uh... I'm good. I'm up. I'm awake. I promise. My eyes may look closed, but I'm here because we have a lot of stuff to talk about this week. And this week, we are going to be talking to the amazingly talented writer of the upcoming Dark X-Men series, Steve Fox. Fall of X. You know, we chose the title for a reason. Dark X-Men, we chose the title for a reason. Um, There's a Trent Reznor meme where it's like, are you here to have a good time? Well, that was the other guys. We're here to have a bad time. And and that's really my my uh, guiding ethos for this book. Woo, yes. You can hear that full interview with Steve just a little bit later in the show. And also, I know many of you partake in the Marvel Insider. We've got a Marvel Insider code later in the show. You'll have to listen and find out. Now, Angelique, did you know that Comic-Con International San Diego, a.k.a. San Diego Comic-Con, is three weeks away. Wait, what? Three? Yep. Three? It's bananas. But in a good way, uh, there's no real news here. I just wanted to put that on everybody's radar, just so you know. Get ready. I will be there at Comic-Con. Yeah, uh, I've got some... Some things that we're planning, things that we're doing. If you're going to be there, let us know. Come see me at the booth. Um, we're going to have a panel. You should go see Ryan. He is a, you know, a ding-dang delight, as he would say himself. In the meantime, for all of us uh, who are making our plans for San Diego Comic-Con, in between time in those 21 days, Marvel Studios is going to be releasing more episodes of Secret Invasion. That's right, Secret Invasion Episode 2 is out Right now, I am not going to spoil it. I promise. But wow, that first episode, we were just talking about it before the show. And man, it was explosive, that show. Yeah, that's all I can can say. Uh, But definitely make sure you check out the new episode right now, streaming exclusively on Disney+. Plus. See, you know, what the fallout might have been. Or if you haven't watched episode one, you know, do a double feature. Yeah, yeah. All right, Marvel Studios fans, the time is almost here to bring the Guardians home for one last ride. That's right. Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 arrives on digital retailers on July 7th. Oh my god, that's so soon! And on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and DVD on August 1st. Y'all can add the film to your collection, and there's a ton of bonus content with deleted scenes. I'm going to run you through that in a second, but in case you missed it, in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, our beloved band of misfits is looking a bit different these days. Peter Quill still reeling from a terrible loss must rally his team and embark on a dicey, action-packed mission to defend the universe and protect Rocket. Meanwhile, a new, unpredictable force threatens to bring the Guardians down for good. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is written and directed by James Gunn. I'm assuming most of you have seen it and loved it as much as we have, but there might be some spoilers ahead as we talk about some of these featurettes and different things. Um, So be warned, but like also get ready for July 7th to get it digitally or August 1st to get a physical copy, please. Thank you. All right. 
cool. Featurettes include the Imperfect Perfect Family, which is really cool, looking at the evolution of the Guardians through the cast and the crew's passion for each other and the franchise. It's really, really sweet. There's also a featurette called Creating Rocket Raccoon, where director James Gunn talks about bringing Rocket to life and how personal the character is to him. It's really cool. Lots of behind the scenes footage, research, development, digging into the visual effects process, the inspiration, and and so much more, especially because it's such an important film for Rocket and Rocket fans. I know you're out there and and are awesome. Uh, And then deleted scenes. These are so cool. I need to watch them right now. Uh, there's a ton of deleted scenes. You've got one in which Adam Warlock is talking to Aisha about what he plans to do with the Guardians. Um, you've got Peter on Counter-Earth helping an injured human animal, which I, I really want to see that one. There's one called Drax's Analogies and Metaphors, where Drax is giving Peter some very interesting uh, life analogies and metaphors. Uh, there's uh, one about High Evolutionary's mission to perfect the universe, uh, the search for Rocket by High Evolutionary and his uh, his creatures. There's a Peter one, a burning escape where Peter has to go back for his music player. The one I really, really need to see right now is called Nowhere After the Battle. The description I have is the High Evolutionary is brought back to nowhere and locked up while Kraglin recruits Adam Warlock. I feel like I just, I really want to see that one right now. But there's also a gag reel where you can see a lot of the fun outtakes on the set from the cast and the crew and a director's commentary for the film with director James Gunn. Uh, Some of these bonus features vary by product and retailer, so you'll have to check your preferred retailer and your preferred format. But nonetheless, you need to get your hands on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 when it comes home July 7th on digital and August 1st on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and DVD. And there's also some Marvel must-haves articles on Marvel.com with new shirts, socks, and even some new Marvel Legends action figures for y'all. So go check them out. Ryan, I know you're like, if I ever need to know anything about Marvel Legends, I know that I can come to Ryan Panagos. I'm pretty up on my Legends business. You would say they need to go check these out. Yes, there's a Talos figure with two heads, one the Scrolly head and one his Ben Mendelsohn sculpt head and Nick Fury. And they're part, if I remember correctly, they're part of a build a figure line, but that's to be revealed pretty soon. Yeah, my favorite is uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy one had a build a Cosmo one. And so my legends came with like a little Cosmo arm. Uh, which is a slight delight when you get to open up the Marvel Legends and find out what else is the the big surprise. Yeah, no, I I, I fully get it. I, I think um, talking with some friends at Hasbro, you know, maybe there'll be some fun surprises from them as well at Comic Con in three weeks. Dun dun dun. Twenty uh, one days. Yes, so soon. Uh, but you know what's right now? Us talking about some comics because, hey, look, if you're a spider hero, you got no thwips, that's no problem. If your name is Spider-Boy, if you have not seen Spider-Boy, it's the breakout character from the latest Spider-Verse comics. Uh, and he's just a ding-dang delight. He's been appearing in the current Spider-Man series as well as Edge of Spider-Verse. And, you know, Spider-Boy getting... His first ongoing series starting in November by writer Dan Slott, uh, who is one of the co-creators of Spider-Boy along with Humberto Ramos. And uh, the series will be drawn by Paco Medina, who is perfect 
for this. Um, you can hit those like younger vibes so, so well. And uh, Umberto is doing the covers for it. So it's going to be really cool. This series is is cool because it's going to dive into Spider-Boy's like very mysterious past for us because the, the idea about Spider-Boy, quick four-on-one is he is Spider-Man's sidekick. And you're like, Spider-Man doesn't have a sidekick. Well, listen up, silly head. That is the history that's been erased from everyone's memory except for Spider-Boys. And that is what happened in the latest uh, Spider-Boys story. He came back even though he was never really here, but I guess he was here. We just didn't remember him. He doesn't shoot webs. He leaps like one of those little jumping spiders. Yeah, Angelique is making this face like, oh. <laughs> the jumping, like, like, I literally, oh, yeah. like, as much as I think this is a cool superpower, like, I think jumping spiders are terrifying. They, they can be. So he doesn't whip but he does jump he has a poisonous bite i think he has extra eyes he's kind of a rascal he's a lot of fun you can tell dan slot is having fun with the character but we're gonna <sighs> we're gonna sort of like in this series figure out how he factors into the spider-man mythos um, we're gonna see him trying to restore his his destiny his place in the marvel universe i'm really excited about this this i feel like he's gonna come out and he's gonna really show us a new side of being a spider person it's cool there's gonna be two stories in that first issue one where he teams up with squirrel girl great and then fighting madame monstrosity the character who made him into a monster so we're getting new characters new ideas new stuff in spider boy coming in november i'm here for it ah but you know what you know what i'm Mm. excited about ryan tell me new orleans and you know what's in New Orleans, Ryan? Uh, beignets, coffee, delicious food, some good comic shops, uh, someone named Angelique, who I'm fond of, um, some of my you, wife's friends. What else? You're correct with all of this, but you know, mm-hmm. one of my favorite things that's in New Orleans is the Strange Academy, and it Ooh. returns for a deadly field trip. <laughs> School is back in session at Dr. Strange's Strange Academy, and no one is more excited than Angelique Rocher. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, this interconnected story kicks off with uh, the Strange Academy, Miles Morales, number one. So we are going to be uh, jumping through, uh, and it continues into Strange Academy, Moon Knight, number one, and concludes this October what better month to have a conclusion than the month of Halloween? In Strange Academy's Amazing Spider-Man number one, where all three spotlighted heroes will work together with the students to take down a new foe. <laughs> How was that? That was good. That was, I've been working on that. So all issues of this series are going to be written by Carlos Hernandez, who is a YA novelist and has been doing some really cool stuff with Marvel's Voices. And then art is going to be by Juan Cabal, Julian Shaw, and Vasco Georgiev. Um, So, you know, check it out. The first release is going to be in August, followed by September and (laughs) October. No, I'm going to keep working on that. I'm going to keep working on that. That wasn't wasn't quite there. I'm workshopping it, Ryan. I appreciate it, though. It was a good effort. Uh, All right, let's shift over. I know a lot of fans out there love them some Venom. And also, as you well should, you all love Dr. Doom. So Eddie Brock faces off against Dr. Doom in a big issue, Venom number 25, coming in September. This one is cool. I I haven't read a lot of the issues coming out this week, next week. There's like the Venom Lethal Protector series. Lethal Protector 2 is like a throwback series, but it's got Venom and Doom 
dealing with some stuff there. And then the main Venom book, issue 22, comes out next week. And it really, like, brings Doom into the picture. And this is all leading to this big, supersized number 25 in September. That just things go off the rails when Doom shows up. We're going to see big moves. Venom has been going after Eddie, I should say, has been going after Meridius. But Dr. Doom getting involved. We've got a new symbiote. There's all kinds of wild stuff in here. It is a knockdown, drag out kind of fun issue. It's written by Al Ewing. It's going to have wonderful art because you're going to have not just Sergio Davila in there, not just Ken Lashley, not just Julius Ota, but also Cafu. So four great artists for a big honking issue of Venom in September. So uh, one of the things that I have absolutely come to love, and I remember being in your office, the, like some, like the first couple months that I was at Marvel, and I saw this what if cover of the Watcher <laughs> with his skirt flying up like Marilyn Monroe, and then I became a little obsessed. Issue number 34 of the uh, second volume of What If, because uh, issue 34 of both volumes is the humor issue, and so they just lose it it is bananas i i've read that issue so many times over my life it's sitting behind me on my spinner rack it is one of the greatest comics ever i literally walked into ryan's office and i just it just made a beeline to this cover it's like what is this <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you like What If as much as Ryan uh, does and as much as I have come to love it, Marvel and Random House Worlds announce What If adult novel series. That's right. This is for the grown folks. Uh, all right. So launching in 2024 with its first title, What If Loki Was Worthy? A Loki and Valkyrie story. Oh, by Madeline Rue. Uh, and then it's going to be followed with two more titles in its initial launch. Um, but for those who are looking out for it, the first book is going to be publishing on March 12th, 2024. And then what if Wanda Maximoff and Peter Parker were siblings? Oh, a Scarlet Witch and Spider-Man story by Seanan McGuire. Oh, <laughs> publishing in July, 2024. And Yay, if you know Shannon. anything about Seanan McGuire... Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. going to be a hoot on mm-hmm. Annie. Uh, and then the last book in the initial release is What If Mark Spector Was a Host to Venom? A Moon Knight and Venom story by Mike Chen, publishing in October 2024. The audiobook editions for all novels will be published by Penguin Random House Audio. So for those of you who love audiobooks, we got you. Woo. Good stuff. Now, maybe you also love love and you're reading Love Unlimited. We've got a new arc in the Love Unlimited Infinity Comics. It is all about Captain Marvel and War Machine and they (gasps) go on vacation. Uh, Okay. First of all. Yeah. Here for it. Yeah. Uh, I'm here for Rhodey being happy. Love Unlimited is so good. It is so much fun. It is... Sad and sweet and funny, and I've been reading a bunch of those stories lately. So this is very cool. It is now the first issue of this is now up on Marvel Unlimited in the Love Unlimited Infinity Comic number fifty-five, written by Sean McKeever. Sean um, knows a little bit about doing great Marvel romances. If you've never read Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane, then get the hell out of here 
go read that comic book. It is great. He did it for a couple years. It's really good. Uh, also, the series will be by Lorenzo Susi and Pete Pantazis to put this together. It is a uh, drama, love story. You're going to have Captain Marvel and Rhodey doing their thing. But in this story, the power couple is facing a major down. Oh. Rhodey has been plagued by sleep terrors and has left <gasps> them in a major funk, even after talking to their best friends, Tony Stark and Spider-Woman. Maybe a vacation across space can rekindle their love. Or has this relationship finally burned out? How dare you? What no. are you even talking about? I don't want it. Look, mm. I get it. Carol mm. and Rhodey have had their ups and downs. There's been some things. Also, every time I say the word down with Rhodey, it just, it also gives me like a little bit of like a chest pain because mm. I know Rhodey's history and mm. down is never a good direction for Rhodey. No. No, but I, I feel good. I feel hopeful. This is a six-part arc, and new issues will drop every Thursday on Marvel Unlimited. If you're not already on Marvel Unlimited, fix your life. Seriously. Get now. your business together. Go subscribe. Now, because, it's like, instant access to, like, 30,000 I mean, comics. Like, yeah. come on. Come on. Let's switch over to something more, you know, game-like. Like, games. So Marvel Strike Force introduces Primordial Asgardian Warrior Vow. That is just such a dope name. I just feel like it announces itself. Uh, so a new Asgardian hero rises in Marvel Strike Force. It is included in version 7.2. Uh, so make sure you get that update. Uh, Val is Marvel Strike Force's fourth original character following in the footsteps of Kestrel, Death, Pool and Spider Weaver. After Ultimus destroyed their universe, Val emerged stronger than ever with the combined might of the Odin Force and the Phoenix Force? What? Okay, so this sounds so badass. Um, Val has used the Bifrost to travel to Nexus Earth with a singular focus protect the multiverse. It's not a bad focus, I gotta say. No. Um, so for those who are huge Strike Force fans, uh, Val is a brawler for the Bifrost raid team, and their Asgardian DNA mixed with the fledgling Phoenix Force, that just sounds like so much power, has endowed them with the high health and damage stats that you need on your team. Um, they're the keystone member of Bifrost and their abilities feature powerful offensive and defensive mechanics that help Bifrost cut down enemy waves. New to Marvel Strike Force and within Val's abilities is the exposed mechanic. So let's do a little breakdown because now you're going, what does that mean, Angelique? Uh, so exposed is a neutral status effect, um, like charged, that can only be applied or prolonged by abilities specifically mentioning exposed. Uh, exposed stacks and their effect is uniquely applied to each character based on that character and what their powers are. Uh, with Val in the battle, enemies with exposed have health stolen from them when attacked, and Val receives a speed bar and ability energy. What? <laughs> what? Um, but in raids, uh, Bifrost allies also receive these benefits, making Val even more important. Wait, are you telling me that Val could go and steal someone's speed and ability and then share it with the entire team? What? Some would call Val a little OP. Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. I oh. rhymed. 
My gosh. Uh, as mentioned above, everyone perceives Val differently. So staying true to their identity, Val will have three, three, three different appearances to choose from. Masculine, feminine, and non-binary. Happy Pride Month to you all. Uh, upon unlocking Val, you'll automatically gain access to all three appearances and can change Val's appearance to the one of your choice in Val's character screen. That is so badass. That's very cool. Dig it. Everybody, go check out Marvel Strike Force right now on your mobile device, whatever you're probably listening to this podcast. And then they are. should go tune in to listen to your voice again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you can do on Marvel's Pull List podcast, the other show we do, where we talk about all the new comics out every week, our picks for this week, the new issues on sale, the three that we say, please go buy these. We believe in these more than anything else. Star Wars, Darth Vader, Black, White, and Red, number three, Deadpool, number eight, and X-Men Before the Fall, Heralds of Apocalypse, number one. They're so good. Such great comics. And you can listen to the show to find out why we think they're such great comics. And we also have a reading club this week with writer Josh Trujillo, uh, where we talk to Josh about Love Unlimited. See, I was talking about Love Unlimited earlier. We're talking about Love Unlimited, Aaron Fisher, Captain America, a wonderful Infinity comic that uh, you can read on Marvel Unlimited while you're getting ready for more issues of Love Unlimited with Captain Marvel and Rhodey. See, it all comes together. So good. New episodes of Marvel's Pull List have been out every Tuesday. Perfect to get you ready for new comic book day on Wednesday. Listen on the SiriusXM app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, all right. Well, press that subscribe button so you get the new episodes every week because I love a good pull list. Um, but next up, we have our chat with Steve Fox. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to This Week in Marvel. I'm Ryan Panagos. And I'm Angelique Roche. All right, let's get into the interview this week. It is with Steve Fox. Steve is the Eisner and Ringo Award-nominated author of over 80 comics and children's books, including the upcoming Dark X-Men, the previously released and wonderful X-Men 92, House of 92, All Eight Eyes, Rainbow Bridge, Party and Pray, Adventure Kingdom, tons of other stuff. Ooh, a creep show anthology, plus stuff for yeah. us. In the Marvel's Voices Pride special, the Spider-Ham series from Scholastic, he's also worked with designer Chris Enka to be the co-creator of Webweaver, Marvel's first gay spider hero. Woohoo! We love Woo. Webweaver. All right, Angelique, it is time to chat with our wonderful guest this week. Hello, Steve Fox. Hello, thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Steve. Steve, we're going to talk about all kinds of great comics and wonderful things you're doing for Marvel in a number of different places. But first things first, we got to ask, what's your Marvel origin story? Was the What was the first like comic you read or movie you saw? What, what was it that first got you hooked on being a Marvel fan? Oh, man. Well, my origin story is really early on because uh, I, I'm born in 89. And when I was maybe three or four, I saw Pride of the X-Men on VHS. And that kind of hooked me for life. And that was right around the time the Toy Biz toys started coming out. So the one-two punch of Pride of the X-Men and the toys. And those original lines, uh, you know, they, they included a lot of eclectic characters. Like Kane is one of the first toys I ever had. Kane, you know. 
the guy who's been in in like zero comics for the last 20 years but um, in 1991 he was hot stuff yes he was having i was his a big moment. kane fan as a kid yeah i had every kane action figure uh <laughs> I think the fact that the line was so eclectic and that Pride of the X-Men had some uh, deeper cut characters who didn't really show up too much on the X-Men animated series as often, uh, it just really hooked me early on the idea of this big, deep universe that I could go off and explore. So I I never stopped. I was a consistent reader ever since. And then uh, about a decade ago, I actually interned for Marvel. Uh, when I went to college, I, I worked there for a year. I got to meet a lot of editors and folks I interned with uh, and who interned right after me have gone on to also write and create for Marvel. So it's it's been a, a long journey and a rewarding one. I love it. Well, I mean, and now you're adding to the Marvel Universe, which is pretty amazing. Yeah, it's very surreal. I mean, even when I signed on to do this podcast and I had to start thinking, okay, which Marvel projects do I have that haven't been announced yet that I can't talk about and which ones are public knowledge? The fact that I even have that distinction to make is really kind of overwhelming. Um, I do a good job of just disassociating, (laughs) not (laughs) not thinking about it directly. Uh, But it is very cool when, when my psyche forces me to confront the fact that I get to do my, my childhood dream job. (laughs) So in one of those, I gotta say like web weaver has become such a huge impact. It's just a cool character. And it's so unique on its own. Like, talk to folks who may not be familiar with Cooper and the whole Web Weaver story and the uniqueness of having this um, very fashion forward spider person. Yeah. So, you know, one of the most fun developments over the last uh, decade or so of Marvel has been the expansion of the Spider-Verse. And obviously it's really taken off in movies and video games and, and television and everything else. And So last year, the spider office reached out to me about creating a new spider who is, to the best of our knowledge, the first openly gay male spider hero. So we've we've had some queer spider characters before, but never um, a gay man. And that's where Web Weaver was born. We got so lucky to have Chris Anka doing the costume design. And I think so much of what you were just talking about with the character taking off is owed to what a striking look he has. The fact that Chris, who has also worked on the Spider-Verse movies, brought his design sensibility to Cooper Cohen's outfit, gave him such a distinct image amongst the other Spider-Heroes. And we went through different iterations with the design. It'd be very funny if he ever posts some of the other ones one day, but I said very early on that I thought he should have yellow as a dominant color because I love Orb Weaver spiders and you know, there are a million billion spiders in the world. And it's for some reason, everything I work on tends to involve spiders, but very few of Marvel spider heroes have yellow as their dominant color. So uh, Dan Slott was talking about this with spider boy too. the fact that his blue is uh, a higher quantity than red on the outfit. When you have a splash page of dozens, if not more spider heroes, you can pick these characters out right away. So I think that made Cooper stand out. And as far as his origin, you know, I was very lucky to work with Nick Lowe and Kanan McGahee and Lindsay Kowick and the rest of the Spider editors. And they wanted a gay male character who wasn't ashamed of his more flamboyant side, who could embrace things that often get criticized as stereotypes of the gay community. But here's the thing. A lot of stereotypes are rooted in fun, truthful things that members of the community embrace and enjoy and take uh, pride in. Uh, 
So to take some of the things that get thrown back against people like me and make a character who embraces those was a lot of fun. And the fashion designer thing, obviously it goes hand in hand with having a fierce, fun, confident gay New Yorker, but also obviously works well with spiders, weaving, silk, arachne. Like there's such a long history of of tying all that in. Getting to make him Janet Van Dyne's uh, employee in her fashion line, a a very Miranda Priestley-esque version of Janet Van Dyne. It, It was just such a blast. But so, so much of it is owed to Chris's design because even before that first story came out, there was fan art. There were people with like Web Weaver is their profile picture on Twitter. There were people talking about, you know, shipping him in the male version of Silk who appears in that. So I, I think the visual just popped off for people. So getting to to do several stories, including one that hasn't been announced yet uh, in a different venue, I think is going to be, um, it's something I'm very proud of. You did something a little different for Marvel's Voices Pride this year. You actually um, had a chance to work with one of the Children of the Atom, uh, aka Gimmick, and there there are also some um, wardrobe shifts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so I I have wanted to do the Pride issue for years. Even before I I did my first work at Marvel, I was like, I gotta get into this. So I was um, over the moon when I I hit up Sarah Brunstad, the main editor on the book. And she responded like, oh, I was just typing an email to you. <laughs> so it worked out really nicely. Uh, Gimmick is a character who was introduced in Children of the Atom, which is a book that Vita Ayala and Bernard Chang, and then I think Paco Medina fa- uh, filled in on the back end, um, did earlier on when Krakoa debuted. And it followed this group of young, diverse New Yorkers who looked up to the X-Men and looked up to mutants and really wanted to be X-Men except only one of them actually turned out to be a mutant. And that's uh, Carmen, who is better known by gimmick. Um, But Carmen actually turned out to be a shape-shifting mutant. And so that series ended with her getting to go to Krakoa, go to the first Hellfire Gala, meet a lot of her heroes. But then she didn't show up too much after that. And I thought she was such a fun, unique viewpoint character. One of the things I love about the X-Men and always have is that almost every era has its Kitty Pride, its younger mutant who is a way in for readers to see the team and to to look up to these heroes. And that's very unique to the X-Men. Across every major publisher, every major superhero team, the the consistent teen sidekick is not a staple. You know, the Avengers does not always have like their their youngin running around. So when it came time to assemble a cast for Dark X-Men, I thought it was a really cool opportunity to bring Carmen back and throw her into the deep end. The one hurdle is, like I said, she hadn't been around for a couple of years. We didn't really see what she got up to between the end of Children of the Atom and the first issue of Dark X-Men. So I knew I had my work cut out for me reintroducing her. The Pride short then was this huge opportunity to reintroduce readers to her and explain what she's been up to since she came to the island. And we're starting from a character who already looks up to the X-Men, who wants to be a hero, but who doesn't necessarily have as much training or as much background in being a mutant adventurer and hero, especially in an island where everyone's come back to life, everyone's there, you know, you are one of thousands of talented young mutants so how do you carve out your own space and show that you have what it takes to advance? And that's really what the Pride short became an opportunity to show. 
I love that. Yeah. And the, the short is super duper fun. We see her, she's teaming with the, a bunch of young mutants and training by Bishop. And like, we are huge Bishop fans here. Sweet, sweet, uh, sweet, sweet Bishop. Yeah. Lucas is, <laughs> is one of the greatest, even when he's, you know, trying to kill a dad and his kid um, across time. But hey, look, we're not going to get into that right now. We, uh, but I, I like this has been going on with Bishop through the last, you know, couple of months of, of the Krakoan era. And so seeing uh, Gimmick here doing this and, and the, her team is really fun. Uh, but then <laughs> Angelique and I were talking about this uh, before we started recording. We're like, snot. You brought in, you bring in <laughs> snot and, and infestation. These two just gnarly ass gross freaking mutants <laughs> in making the I, I like this because they're just dirt bags they're yes. just creeps and it's good because not everyone on Krakoa is cool which we know but like these these kids are just like ugh we want to be jerks it's fun it's a yeah. fun story and it's uh i just got to say like snot and the um the art <laughs> on snot uh just just just, just a, a strong shout out to the depictions rosie campy's art solid yeah i mean how you managed to get the trajectory uh, <laughs> to actually hit people and make it make sense brilliance yeah i so i love horror i love disgusting things but snot is actually one of like my hard limits it really grosses me out so <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's a character I truly cannot stand, which made him perfect to use here. And Infestation's so cool. Again, she's a girl, you know, teeming with bugs, but Snot is so disgusting. She is a walking plague. Yes. And what you were saying, too, that especially in the Krakoan era, we've seen so many former villains redeem themselves or kind of put their worst impulses aside. And I like that they're still jerks. That's part of what Dark X-Men is about. It was like, who could I find who is completely unlikely to ever team up with the X-Men? <laughs> like, who's the nastiest of the nasty? They're so just of course, bullies. They're just bullies. They're mean people. They're dirtbags. And, and Snot is in good company there. <laughs> Uh, we keep mentioning Dark X-Men. Uh, we, we should talk about that, especially because this story in Pride really tees us off into what's coming for Dark X-Men. Can you talk about how it, it leads us into it and, and, you know, what Dark X-Men is all about? Yeah, well, I should say, too, you know, the Pride story is standalone. I hate to sell readers, like, a portion of anything. So when you pick up the Pride story, you're going to get a complete Carmen Cruz gimmick adventure along with some other younger mutants from the Krakoan era, but it helps set her up for how she leads into Dark X-Men, which is debuting this August. And Dark X-Men, there's a lot that I can't say yet, because Fall of X hinges mm. on this year's Hellfire Gala. Um, I will say Fall of X, you know, we chose the title for a reason. Dark X-Men, we chose the title for a reason. Um, there's a Trent Reznor meme where it's like, are you here to have a good time? Well, that was the other guys. We're here to have a bad time. And, and that's really my, my uh, guiding ethos for this book. So in Dark X-Men, what I can say is that things have changed in the world of mutants, such as that Madeline Pryor, who is now the queen of limbo, has decided to step up and fill a void she feels for an X-Men team. And she pulls this team from people who have come to her limbo embassy which she founded at the end of Dark Web, um, seeking their own kind of uh, dark amnesty. 
And so this team is full of like the worst of the worst. We have Azazel, who is, you know, a centuries old demonic mutant who peddles in souls and has potentially birthed, you know, a, a good dozen teleporting mutants throughout history. We have Implate, who sucks the marrow out of mutants to survive and has plagued his family for, you know, their entire run. Um, we have Zero, who is this uh, shape-shifting, technopathic lunatic <laughs> who who got his powers. He was one of the five, the first five mutants after M-Day, and has mostly just been a, a real dirtbag every time he's shown up, like done gross things, served people hamburgers made out of his flesh and everything else. As you do. As, as one does. Uh, and then thrown into that, we have characters like Gambit and Archangel and Carmen Cruz. And I haven't said it publicly yet, but Maggot, uh, you know, characters who have a heroic history mm. and are now mashing up against kind of the worst of the worst. Don't don't let Ryan get started on Gambit. I'm I'm going to quickly steer <laughs> yeah, away from look, it because he's got feelings. I don't know if he would necessarily call Gambit a hero. Um, but I, for one, am very excited about Marius St. Croix getting some some page time. I you know his original design Chris Bacciolo knocked it out of the park. It's so striking. I have the toy where one of his hands like comes off with a string attachment. And I just have been obsessed with that profile since reading Gen X as a kid. So one of the reasons Azazel and Implate are there is that we watched them walk through the gate in House of X way back in 2019 when Apocalypse first brought all the villainous mutants through. But we haven't seen either of them on Krakoa. We don't know what they've been up to. So this was a fun chance to pick up their story and see what some of the villains who came through who don't have a good side have been doing. Uh, did it, was, am I wrong? Was also Albert on there? Albert is on there. And so I can't say a lot about what role Albert plays yet, but I am such a huge fan of Larry Hama and his run on Wolverine with Mark Silvestri and other artists in the, in, I think he started in the very eight, late eighties and into the nineties. Uh, I've always loved Albert and LCD. They're such bizarre characters. Uh, you know, Wolverine has been cloned and duplicated and replicated and time traveled and <laughs> everything that can possibly happen to him. But for, you know, almost 40 years, he's also had this robotic doppelganger running around uh, and we haven't seen them in a couple years. So this was a fun chance to, to bring them in. I will say uh, they play a very twisted role. <laughs> uh, they, they play a kind of a upsetting role <laughs> and uh, it, it's not the first cover might lead you to believe that this is a group of people working together happily. And it is not. <laughs> and that's okay. And that's okay. We like I, conflict. I want to make sure we, we highlight some of the other things you've done. I mean, I think we first started talking on Marvel's pull list uh, around the time that your X-Men 92 story was coming out, which was so much fun. And playing with those tropes and those characters, but within the Kirk Cohen era, what was your first Marvel like actual writing gig? So my first... Marvel proper was X-Men 92, House of 92. I had done two Spider-Ham books mm -hmm. by that point, but those, of course, come out through Scholastic with their partnership with Marvel. Which is 
terrific. Spider-Ham is really kind of the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I love him so much. And that is all I have to say. So more, more, more Spider-Ham. I love it. People ask me, you know, what's my favorite thing that I do? And it's very hard to choose. But Spider-Ham is such a pure shot of fun. Much like X-Men 92, House of 92, it's taking something that exists and that you love, in this case, like the Spider-Man mythos, and having some fun with it because it's in Peter Porker's world where everything's an animal pun, where you have this almost Looney Tunes-esque visual humor, and getting to work with Shadia Amin for all three of those. Um, the third one comes out this fall. She brings so much to the table. I, I wrote the first one before we knew who was going to draw it, but two and three, seeing how much she had brought to the first one herself, how many gags and her expression work and all of that, like, I just feel like we ended up having perfect chemistry and, and she and I are good friends now in, in real life. So those books are such a delight. And I talking about Spider-Verse earlier, I was very excited when Spider-Rex showed up in the latest trailer because he is a big part of the third Spider-Ham coming out this fall. There's this big scene in, in the Spider-Society HQ. And so there's so many characters, but I believe also in there is Mysterio from Spider-Ham's World, oh. um, the moose-themed version of Mysterio. All of the Spider-Ham characters are, as you mentioned, all the puns and stuff. Did you get to play with a lot of those side characters, villains, you know, all those things? Yeah, we got to introduce a number um, that hadn't appeared before. <laughs> and it's funny that you mentioned Mysterio because... The continuity hasn't been the tightest for no. Spider-Ham over the years. <laughs> Certainly not. There's another, there's a different version of Mysterio. Mysteriape, who, yes. is, who is in our book. Uh, so we usually defaulted to like the original run and Mysteriape appeared before Mysterio. And, and yeah, it gets completely insane when you have to talk about these at length because you just feel like you're saying everything wrong. But yeah, we got to introduce Captain Meowvel. She nice. had never appeared in animal form before. Mm -hmm. Monica Ramboa. I was proud of that one. So we, we got to have some fun here and there with coming up with the animal puns and, and introducing new characters. My favorite, people always give me credit for it, but it already existed, is Ant-Ant instead of Ant-Man. <laughs> yes. I mean, that that's probably the, the purest distillation of Spider-Ham, and it, he's been around since the 70s. So Ant-Ant rides again in our book just ridiculous i love it so much <laughs> you know before we wrap i was thinking uh, you know you and chris helped bring web weaver to life and thinking about how you wanted to take gimmick and do some fun stuff with with her what is it like for you as a creator to like create something in the marvel universe because obviously you're doing comics for yourself you're doing comics for licensees you're doing comics for marvel what is it like to almost birth a character, put them into the these multiverses and know that someone else is going to take it and, and run with it. It's such a strange feeling. And, you know, I joked earlier about kind of disassociating from it, but I have found that healthy to an extent. And I should give credit to, obviously, Chris Anka's design was such a big part, but the first story was drawn by Kei Zama, who killed it. And the second story was drawn by Luciano Vecchio. I mean, come on, you are blessed with yes. both of them. Kay is so good. And Luciano should be a giant superstar and is well on his way yes. to becoming one I, I was very excited um that he he's drawing something for the the objective list spider-man book okay. so i've been very lucky to work with really cool artists but the fact that web weaver kind of took off before the first story was out there was actually a, a weird relief in a big way because it kind of felt like 
okay, no matter what I do, there's something to this character and fans are responding and readers are responding and he's going to have a life beyond the stories I get to tell. So finding out that he's in the pride issue um, and Sarah, you know, sent me that script to read to make sure we were lining up with everything, uh, which was a very kind thing to do. But it was very cool to see Web Weaver spin off into someone else's story, just as it was to see Dan Slott and Mark Bagley use him in the first arc of Spider-Man. You know, few things can validate a Marvel character's existence, like Mark Bagley drawing him. You know, the man has drawn hundreds of, of issues for Marvel. He's one of he's one of the artists I most associate with Marvel. So getting to see Web Weaver spin off, and I'm not trying to make a pun when I say that, but spin off into Spider-Man two months after I wrote him uh, was a very validating feeling. But then the flip side too is the pressure of um, taking up Carmen Cruz, like you said. You know, she had only ever been written by Vita, who I who is a good friend of mine. So it's like, oh, I have to do this character justice and make sure that I'm evolving her in a way that tracks with what Vita's already done with her. It's also when I got to see Carmen in her own outfit in the Pride story, it goes so far toward establishing a character's identity, especially with younger mutants, because so many of them are in the black and yellow sort of like trainee outfits. When you see someone step out and form their own look, that's such a good step in getting a character to stick around and getting other people to want to use them. So I was excited we could do that for Carmen. Yeah. I like the fandom aspect of it. I think it's something, you know, we saw obviously 10 years ago with Kamala, you know, very yeah. prominently you being a fan and, and how that informed who she was as a superhero in some ways. And I think it's important because especially now, you know, our generation folks who are making comics now are so informed by the books that we were reading and doing and, and and much more history of even, you know, obviously this has been going on back to Roy Thomas was a, a fanboy <laughs> about comics and then, you know, famously became uh, editor in chief and stuff. But now it feels like we are more comfortable showing that our characters can have these relationships, have these histories, have these feelings. And it feels I don't know. It feels a little bit more relatable and something positive that we can share with our fans as well, because you you know, we always want to have that relatability. This is another aspect that I think is really good to play with, with the characters. Yeah. And it's also part of what makes the Marvel universe feel like this living, breathing entity because yeah, it makes total sense. If you got to see these costumed people running around doing incredible feats, you would want to grow up to be like them. Uh, it's a little unusual that Carmen picked Gambit of all people, but <laughs> I like Gambit, so more power to her. <laughs> I loved it when you helped slaughter the Morlocks. Like, that was so cool. Great Listen, job. There's some things we just don't talk about with Gambit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to bag on old Remy LeBeau. We'll leave him be. Uh, maybe he'll he'll get deeply, deeply injured in Dark X-Men. Who knows? We'll have it's, to wait. It's a dangerous book. Not everyone makes it out of the first issue alive. Ooh, so who knows? Like Good tease. Good tease. <laughs> All right, Steve. Thank you. Keep making really cool stuff. I'm sure we'll talk to you again on one of the shows. Um, yeah. Great work, man. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. That was Steve Fox. And you can go check out Marvel's Voices Pride at your local comic shop and soon on Marvel Unlimited. 
Um, so now it's time for a community, a.k.a. This Week in Messages. Uh, so next week's guests, Nick Klein and Philip Kennedy Johnson, a.k.a. folks have done things with the Hulk. Yeah, the Incredible Hulk series that they're doing right now is very cool, very gnarly, very gross, very creepy, good Hulk horror. Uh, so I was thinking about our question of the week, Angelique, and just a, like a nice, simple one. What are your favorite Hulk moments? They can be horror moments. They can be, you know, from the movies, from the old television show, from the cartoons, from the video games. Oh, man. What was the Hulk video game? Like Ultimate Destruction? You could destroy everything. That was so fun. You could, like, grab cars and turn them into, like, gloves and then beat stuff with the gloves that were cars. I love it so much. Um, yeah. well, is that your favorite Hulk moment? Is that it? There's there's lots of ones that I go back and forth with. I always love the moment in Marvel's The Avengers when Captain America says, all right, Bruce, get angry. We need the Hulk, whatever. And Bruce is like, that's my secret, Cap. I'm always angry. And he just like nails it so good right there. It's perfect. Uh, there's lots angry. of Immortal Hulk stuff that I love, like the a lot of moments throughout that. In that first issue of Immortal Hulk, there's a back-to-back double-page spread close-up push-in on Hulk that is so good and so revealing. And it's one of those like deep moments. But throughout that whole series, getting a lot of interesting beats about who... Bruce is, who Hulk is, the different personas, all that kind of stuff. It's hard to pin down just one, but I think a lot of people have numerous moments like that. I love the Hulk's smash. Like, don't get me wrong. I think yeah. smashing things and, you know, beating things up and World War Hulk being one of oh, my favorite times uh, yes. in Hulk's history. But I got to say, I love the fact that the Hulk has also had these incredible moments of nuance. Like, because the Hulk still has this dichotomous personality of being Bruce Banner. Um, one of my favorite Hulk issues, though, and I've, I've talked about this, um, and I actually got to talk about it with editor Bobby Chase on the Women of Marvel podcast, um, was The Incredible Hulk, Volume 2, Number 420, that came out in 1994 with Jim Wilson and the idea that, you know, Hulk tackled this idea of being a hero because of how he, you know, Bruce Banner becomes a Hulk and the gamma radiation and what's in his blood and this fact, this idea that he has this fast healing process. What does that mean when you've had this opportunity to save your friends, but you can't? And so it's just such an interesting thing is that there's been these ups and downs for the character, even though people just assume it's all Hulk smash. Hmm. So. There's so much more, especially during that era, that run written by Peter David. Yeah. So we want to know, what is your favorite Hulk moments? Um, now that we've told you ours, tell Ooh. us yours. Oh, also, Incredible Hulk, Future Imperfect. Probably my favorite Hulk story. Just like, Ooh. oh, and Hulk the End. Oh, and yeah, you mentioned World War Hulk and Planet Hulk. There's a lot of good Hulk stuff. There's a lot of good Hulk stuff, man. Look, so we want to hear yours. Tell us it. You can tweet us your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcasts at marvel.com or send a message to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash This Week in Marvel. Please make sure to tell us if it is okay to read twim on the show. Uh, you can also send us carrier pigeons, but we're not really sure who's going to be in the office to get those. Let's get into last week's question of the week and y'all's answers for it. We asked, what are some of your favorite characters or stories from Marvel's Pride? 
First up, Chandler at Chandler Poling said, Hi, Twim. My favorite Marvel's Voices Pride story is one from the first issue by Leah Williams that brought back Jesse Drake, Marvel's first trans mutant or maybe character even. We need more Jesse. Anacenti was ahead of her time creating Jesse. Chandler, Anacenti was ahead of her time like forever. Yeah. Forever. Facts. Facts. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up, we have Sasha Kaplan at Geeky Kaplan. Horum Spiel with Web Weaver. Uh, there's so little Jewish representation in comics these days that it was such a delight to see an unapologetic queer and Jewish rep. I truly love that story. Yeah. It's so good. So fun. Uh, all right. Superheroes for Doa at Super for Doa says, my favorite story from Marvel's Voices Pride is Totally Invulnerable by Crystal Frazier from last year. I love the She-Hulk case of mistaken identity issue, and it was nice to see a softer side of Titania. Yeah, thank you, Joe. She-Hulk, he was so good. Uh, and Mountain Meg at Meg Stalker. Uh, I'm going to pick one story from each Marvel's Voices Pride issue since it's too hard to choose. In 2021, it has to be Under the Stars with Nico and Carolina. I love Runaways, so this was tailor-made for me. Also, fashion on point. Uh, in 2022, my clear choice is All My Exes in the Nexus. Because one, mm-hmm. Loki, and two, is there a better single page out there than this ex's battle? Ugh, is that a cat? I tried <laughs> to make that noise right for you, Meg. Uh, and this year, I love the expanding representation of the LGBTQ plus spectrum in everything's coming up aces with Gwynpool's declaration that she's asexual plus aromantic. And my goodness, the colorful, beautiful art in this story is perfect. But most of all, at Angelique Roche and at Mighty Brunstead created a section for fans' voices to be shared in 2023. And I'm so grateful to see my name and quote here as a tiny piece of a truly wonderful collection of stories and art. Thank you. No, thank you, Meg. Uh, we've got some great emails here. This one comes from Heather, Fiona, and Nolan saying, this is the kind of question and representation that has me recommending Marvel Comics to everyone I meet at every chance I get. Fiona was the only one who truly understood the assignment. Her favorite Pride story from the 2022 Pride Voices issue is Permanent Sleepover because it's so fun. Nolan and I are stepping outside the issues to share our favorite stories of characters who have pride. Mine is Gwenpool in love because that's my girl, Gwenpool, and it was amazing to see a section of the community that hasn't been highlighted before. Now they get a role model. And Nolan's is the Wiccan and Hulkling Love Unlimited run where Go Big comes back, but the guys choose each other. These two, for him, are true relationship goals. Thank you, fam. Love you, Heather, Fiona, and Nolan. Always the best to hear from you. Oh my gosh, they make my day every like seriously. So good. So good. An email from Antonio. Happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month to you too, Antonio. Uh, my favorite Pride character and story this year is Gwynpool. Her recent arc and coming out in Love Unlimited was moving, beautiful, and in true Gwynpool fashion, bitterly hilarious. <laughs> It means a lot to have a row and ace representation in media and having Marvel do that through our favorite fictional true believer is all the more special. Haven't had a chance to pick up this year's Marvel's Voices Pride at my local comic book store yet, but can't wait to get a copy and see Gwen in a row ace action. I love it. 
Woohoo! Uh, you know what else we love? The Marvel Insider Code. If you're not signed up already, head over to marvel.com slash insider where you can earn points for doing stuff like reading comics, articles, and even listening to this podcast. Plus, we have a very special code for listening to this episode. The code is PRIDE. Woo! P-R-I-D-E. Well if for some reason you cannot spell PRIDE, it is PRIDE. That's the code. It is valid until July 7th, 2023. And you'll receive 5,000 Marvel Insider points when you enter it into the This Week in Marvel Code Redeem activity at marvel.com slash insider. Limited number of redemptions available. One redemption per Marvel Insider. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents 18 plus only. Terms apply. That do good with my legal voice? Was... Yeah. Well oh, done. Thanks. Uh, and look, that's it. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Cara McGurk-Allison, Isabel Robertson, Jasmine Estrada, Ryan Panagos, and Angelique Roche. Our senior manager audio production and development is Brad Barton. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. Special thanks to Steve Fox for being our guest today. And, you know, to you, the audience, for listening. And butts. Once again, gotta thank the butts. Always thanking the butts. Mm-hmm. I'm Ryan. I'm Angelique. And this is Marvel. Your universe. Your universe.